Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Hey, guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun, too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere. And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. This is Athletics Life Stories with your host, Chris Broadbent. And uh, they were just showing each other their gold medals over the top of me. Uh, and I was in the heat with the Asian champion, world indoor champion, African champion. I was European champion. Yeah, I've, I've seen Oscar. I, I, I've been to see him a couple of times. Welcome to Athletics Life Stories with myself, Chris Broadbent. Today I'm joined by a man who was a fixture of British one-lap running for a decade and more. Still is in many ways. Uh, Martin Rooney is a three-time Olympian and twice European champion over 400 metres. But he's possibly best known for his role as the hard-charging anchor leg for the British 4x400-metre team, winning seven senior international medals at Olympic, world and European level with a baton in hand. Not bad for a lad from Croydon. Yeah, there you go, Chris. <laughs> Good to see you, Martin. And you, Chris, and you. Croydon's, Croydon's uh, a hive of talent. I don't know what you mean. It's <laughs> continuously churning out athletes. Seems to be, seems to be, yeah, yeah. So you grew up in you grew up in Croydon, didn't you? I did, yeah. Uh, I grew up in Thornton Heath. I should say it properly, my mum tells me off. Thornton Heath. Um, I say Thornton Heath. And um, <laughs> yeah, I grew up there. Um, I went to school uh, pretty close to where I grew up um uh, St James the Great primary school and then I went to a school in Purley called the John Fisher school uh, it was a catholic boys school and yeah it's just this is where I grew up it was um it's where my parents still live now my brother lives down there um my other siblings are spread out a bit further but yeah Horton Heath was where I'm from good good now you you've got so you obviously spent a lot of time in British Fest but you're Irish aren't you your parents are both Irish aren't they yeah, yeah. Um, were yeah, you brought both, up? Were you brought up Irish, or were you had it, had it work? Uh, So yeah, both my parents are Irish. Um, my mum's from Sligo, my dad's from Westmeath. Um, so my dad's like uh, come from like a very hard kind of farming upbringing, and he's a builder, a carpenter, and um, and my mum, uh, she was part of a big family in Sligo, and they moved across to and they moved across to London. I don't know. 70s probably <laughs> but yeah uh 
I, I wouldn't say I was brought up Irish. I, I was brought up in an Irish family. Um, mm. My parents always said you're English, you're, you're British. Um, you're, this is where we grew up, this is where we pay our taxes, this is where you're educated, this is, you're English. Um, but they also, we also had Irish passports as kids. So um, <laughs> it's a bit, I think it's just you follow on from what they've done and um, in, uh, in a normal world, that's absolutely fine. But in the elite sport, that changes slightly. Yeah, yeah, okay, okay. So at school, were you, were you sporty at school? Yeah. Yes, uh, very. Yeah. I, I went to my primary school, St James the Great. Um, we played a lot of sport, played a lot of football, cricket, rugby, not rugby. Um, did a lot of athletics. Uh, I was very fortunate. One of the teachers at my school uh, was a Commonwealth triple jumper, Miss uh, Berkeley Ajipong. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I can't. I don't think she went to Manchester. No, I think it had been before that. But um, she was a triple jumper, uh, and she kind of along with other teachers and uh, we have other stuff that I did outside of school, like beavers and cubs and scouts and stuff that I encouraged sport uh, from a young age. And um, my parents who weren't massively sporty people knew that it was good for us to be active. And I was a hyperactive kid, so mm. go do everything. Okay, okay. And was it, was it running that you were immediately pretty good at? Yeah, like football is what every kid plays, is what you do. Um, I was okay at that. Um, I swam quite early on. Uh, I think it's more of a life skill than <laughs> just learning not to drown. Uh, and then running, yeah, we, uh, we always had like, uh, Catholic schools cross country. And um, I think it uh, must have been in year three, so first year of juniors. And I think I came second in the, the year above, uh, with the year above. And then I think I won it the next year. And it was just like, yeah, just running was something that I did. I was... Um, I was a fast kid who was kind of just kept going. Mm-hmm. You, were, you were a distance runner, weren't you, in the early days? I was, yeah. I, like, I wasn't actually, the, like, I was not slow as a sprinter either, but, like, um, there's always someone faster. And, like, I, I don't I don't believe anybody who said, maybe Craig Pickering's the only one I could think of who was, like, who was genuinely the fastest in his class. Yeah. <laughs> and Harry, or Harry Aikens. But, like, there was, there was a kid who was called Dean French. I still remember him. Uh, he was always beating me on the short stuff, but as soon as it came over, maybe like one lap or whatever, it was game over for him. But um, yeah, I, I did a lot of cross country as a kid, 1500s, 800s. Um, like to be honest, I enjoyed the cross country more than anything. The, yeah. the being out and about is it was a way for 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 me to go and see a bit more of the country, a bit more of the countryside, and you got to see like uh, you got to go to intercounties and stuff, and you'd go up the country and. I didn't. Re- I thought uh, we raced in Newcastle upon Tyne, but I've no Newcastle under Lyme, but I thought I went to Newcastle upon Tyne. So <laughs> I only got as far as Stoke, but I thought I'd got all the way up. Um, but yeah, there's um, yeah, there's it's been cross country was great and I loved it and it was really fun. Like in January, it was just something I, I enjoyed doing. I wasn't the best at it, but I was I was solid and I enjoyed it. Okay, okay. So I take it you competed at like Hampstead Heath and these iconic venues. Then did you? Parliament Hill. I did it once. Never yeah. again. I got I got conned into thinking it was a flat course after the Ooh. first hill. <laughs> um, uh, one of the guys from my club actually, his dad just said, "Oh, that's fine. It's fine." After that first hill, pretty flat. So I was up there with like Adam Hickey and people like that in the first group, and then um, there was about 20 more hills in that race, and it was game over for me. So they were proper proper endurance cross country runners, and uh, I was kind of playing the game. And yeah, I was not at that level. Okay. So. Okay. But and when did you join Croydon Harriers? Was that in primary school? 
in primary school. So, yeah, I was encouraged um, after I think I won one of the those Catholic schools cross countries and um, Mrs. Berkeley Ajapong, she encouraged me to join a club um, and the teacher from another school both said like, yeah, you need to go have a go at this. So they said it to my mum who was there watching and um, yeah, it was just Croydon Harris was the one. It was uh, there was a girl in my school who was already at Croydon Harris, so she, her dad brought me down, and yeah, it was kind of. I think uh, I think my first race for them was at Battersea in a the young athletes league or something like that. Maybe not, maybe even lower than that. It'd have been like Eversham League or something. I can't remember, but I just remember racing against kids, and I was like, they were wearing spikes and fancy stuff, and it was like, oh, this looks fun. This is a uh, you get to go to Battersea Park, you get to go. Um, run around and be a kid and have fun with other kids so that was why I enjoyed it was um, and Croydon were brilliant for me. Good 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 and, and you it was an accident wasn't it, wasn't it being a 400 meter runner it wasn't uh, wasn't part of the plan was it it just <laughs> yeah. happened one day yeah? Kind of um, I uh, I started off obviously as like 800 cross country 1500 all that kind of stuff and I'd always do the relay I'd always do the four by one because I still was kind of quick um, and then I think I maybe I was like 16 or 17. I did like four hurdles for the club, ran okay. Um, I think I ran, I think I ran a sprint hurdles. I think I was higher ranked in the sprint hurdles in the country than I was in the four and 800. But um, yeah, I just did it for fun. And then like I kind of the 400, it just clicked one day uh, at a small meet somewhere in London. I can't remember where it was. And I think I ran like 48 seconds or something like that. And it was just literally like jogged around and then sprinted the second half of the race and I was like oh this is uh, I can't even remember how old. it must have been 16 or 17 but yeah it was just a big shock um and uh, yeah kind of stuck with it unfortunately <laughs> well you, you, you obviously you caught the eye and you were you were pretty quick through the ranks then weren't you because you uh what was your first breakthrough did you you went to the world juniors in 2004 wasn't it yeah I went to Grosseto uh for the yeah. world juniors uh, as part of the four by four I think um, I think I won quite a lot of races that year. Like I think I might have won the South of England or something as well. Like I think I won the counties in the South of England, and I think at the nationals I I tried to do something that I'd never. I, I was trying to pretend that I knew how to run the event. Tried to do something, and I think I came like sixth or seventh in the race, um, which was a good learning curve, a good le- thing to learn at that age. Um, but yeah, it was um, it was kind of a quick turnaround from being literally a club runner, having fun to going like and like. I'd get the odd athletics weekly. I'd go, I'd see it in the shop. I might get it once or twice a, a year or something like that. But I remember seeing like people like Richard Davenport and um, these like famous names of the juniors there, and then going yeah. to the World Juniors with them. It was like, oh, wow, like this is this is cool. And, and it was just funny like talking to them about like training and stuff, and they're like, oh, I'm doing five days a week or six days a week. And I was like, I do two. <laughs> like, <laughs> I still play a bit of rugby and stuff at the school. Um, so yeah, it was. Uh, it was um, it was a good a big eye opener. Definitely learned a lot about the sport, and um, I think it's where I felt like I, I wanted to end up. So yeah, but you didn't compete, did you? Because there was a passport. You didn't have your passport, did you? <laughs> yeah, yeah. I had a, an Irish passport. Uh, as I said, I was a club runner who basically like um, yeah, like international sport was kind of like way off, nothing that you'd ever really thought about. Um, and yeah, my parents both been Irish. We had Irish passports. Um, and yeah, so when it came to competing, like I'd, I'd written it down on the forms, all well, the form was there and it had my Irish passport, but 
it wasn't picked up upon. I don't know if it was just an admin error or whatever, but until we got to Grosseto, like genuinely, I just, as a naive to the whole thing, didn't realise that, yeah, you need to have a British passport to compete for Britain. So, yeah. Um, yeah, it was it was it was it was tough. Uh, Martin Rush took me aside and had a chat with me. Actually, Steve Maguire was there and uh, oh, yeah. tried to pick me up a bit, but it was a bit late by then. I think I'd already said like, now nah, I'm going to run for like. Uh, as I said, my parents brought me up British. Uh, I was paid their taxes there, went to school there, all that kind of stuff. So, um, yeah, he was very understanding, but quite supportive as well. Even though, like, who'd have known where he'd, we'd both end up in the sport? But yeah, we could go. Yeah, yeah, good. Well, next year you got your passport and you're off to World European Juniors, and you, yeah. it, was, it was a big year for you, 2005, wasn't it? Yeah, 2005 was huge. Like it was like, all right, actually, might focus on this event now, the 400. Um, mm. I think, uh, I think I won British champs, uh, the England champs in Bedford, and I remember, I do remember the race because I remember my dad. I was in lane like seven or eight, and my dad was out. At Bedford, he was on the fence at 200 meters. He's like, "Come on, Martin, let's go!" And that was it. And I was like, from there to finish, I didn't see anybody else. So I was just gone. Um, and it was just like, I think I ran a fairly decent time. Um, and yeah, I went to the European Juniors, uh, came second, I think, to a Croatian boy. Maybe it was third. I think I it was third. I third. Yeah, you got bronze. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, I didn't run well in the final. I remember that. Um, and. I remember being disappointed. I felt like um, I was quite comfortable in the heats and the semis and in the final, I, I tensed up and I tried to do something again that I shouldn't have tried to do. Uh, but then I had the lucky opportunity, obviously 400 metres, you get four by fours, kind of bounce back. Um, and I ran well in the final. I didn't run a great race, so I still remember bits of it. Remember, But I remember we won. Like I came, I think I ran a decent enough split, like 45 low or something like that. So it was, uh, it was pretty decent. And good, good enough. You got you got taken to the World Senior Championships in Helsinki as a as a well more of a squad member, but you you ran some. You ended up running in the final, didn't you? With uh, I did, with, yeah. With legs you're running, you're you doing sub 45s, weren't you? Yeah, like um, it's one of the things I'm trying to carry on now. It's like if there's an opportunity to bring a young talent and junior, um, I'd like to take them, even if it's just as a uh, as an experience. And for me and, and Craig Pickering, we were both brought out there for experience, just to be around the senior athletes to see how they operated i remember i went in to watch i think it was like marlon devonish and a couple of other guys do a press conference i just sat at the back of the room just to kind of see how they handled things um it was um it was an amazing experience going to to turku for the holding camp and then going to helsinki for the world champs and i think around 44 9 in the heats uh thinking cool done like had a great experience and then um in the final like right Tony Lester said, right, I'm going to pick you up, let's just go. Uh, and he backed me to do it. And he put me on second leg, which I would have never done myself. But uh, he he had his reason. He felt because I was an 800 meter runner, I was stepping down. I knew how to break. Mm-hmm. Um, and I still, I think I ran 44.8 or 44.9 then. So it was solid. But um, if I look back on it, it was probably, uh, yeah, it, it, it might have been better if they had someone else in second, me on third and then, malachi and fourth but yeah it was good yeah. it was an amazing experience i got to get blanked by jeremy warner and uh <laughs> <laughs> um, the first learned, time <laughs> well no i learned a lot I, I, again it was every bit champs i went to i picked some information up and i learned a lot from my mistakes more than anything i think it was great to win stuff but i learned more from the mistakes i made than uh from the times i got it right yeah 
Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void were prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Hello, it is Ryan. And I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on ChumbaCasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me. And you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Yeah. Okay. Okay. So next year you went to the Commonwealth Games, which is, a, which is actually a monster of a stadium, wasn't it, in Melbourne for the yeah. 2006 Commonwealth Games and you got to the final there. What, what was that whole experience like? Uh, the MCG was different. It was... Uh, yeah. I think it was an amazing stadium. It was a, an amazing atmosphere. But um, to go to the MCG as a, I was still 18 at that stage, um, and just be out there and it would soak it all up. Um, I hadn't. I moved to Loughborough uh, as an 18 uh, after I finished at school, and uh, I joined Nick Dakin's group. And um, I actually didn't really want to do the individual. I thought I'd just go there for experience, do the relay, uh, and then Nick just. I basically someone at England Athletics was like, no, you really should take this opportunity. He kept pushing, pushing, pushing. And Nick was basically saying like, look, I think you're in good shape. I think you're probably in a lot better shape than you realise. Uh, I was training with Reese Williams and Kamel Thompson and a couple of other guys. And I was walking the training. It was easy. But these were elite runners. And Nick was protecting me. He was not making me do all the sessions. He was being patient with my build up. But um, the sessions I did do with the guys, I was yeah, comfortably ahead of them or whatever it was so um he's like no you need to back yourself have a go and um we did a holding camp in south africa beforehand i think around 45.99 in this uh a small small meet but it was a televised meet but it was pretty cool uh i'd forgotten my spikes beforehand so dakin had to go drive back to our house come back and uh, bring the spikes miss missed reese race which uh pissed reese off and i don't blame him um <laughs> And then I, ran, I kind of had to run quick to kind of justify it. And yeah, so I went 45.99, then went to the Commonwealth. Just excited to be there. I think I won a, a B race in the, the Grand Prix just beforehand and got a good crowd, like a, a good atmosphere, a good feel for the place. And then when I went to there, when I went into the MCG, I was just, we kind of, we did this long walk on the inside. And you kind of come in out of the 300 meter mark. Instead of just going the short 100 meters, you had to go all the way around. <laughs> And I remember just slapping hands with all the kids on the first day, just because I was like, I'm, I'm 18 years old. This is what you, what you see people do on TV. And uh, I think I kind of the crowd warmed to it. I think like by the semi-final, I did it again. Loads of people started coming down. And in the final, I just I remember getting a huge cheer. Like really, I was in the lane outside John Stephenson, uh, who was obviously the favourite Aussie guy, and he got a huge cheer. And then my cheer afterwards was nearly as loud as his. So I was like wow <laughs> this is different and it, to be honest it was the first time I've been in a race where it was a 44 second race so I learned a lot in that being there just one to hear the noise to be in the pressure of a championship final um to be the number one Brit at that time like Tim Benjamin obviously was injured unfortunately missed the championships and he'd probably been a favorite for the gold there but to be like the representative for Britain there was it was amazing and 
to get the support of the crowd was um it was it was nice it was an amazing feeling uh when they whooshed past me that was a shock but <laughs> i learned a lot and uh, i think i finished in 45 five i went i think the champs went 45 eight 45 three 45 five so as an 18 year old that's pretty solid mm. Very good, very good, great experience. And, and you took that experience to the World Juniors that, that year. You actually got to compete this time, didn't you? At, uh, did, yeah. at Beijing, which was a very good place for you, Beijing, wasn't it? Yeah. Um, you did well there. Yeah, Beijing was good. Um, I think um, I'd had I picked in between the Commonwealth and the World Juniors. I picked up a, a toy tendon in my foot uh, doing a VO2 max test, which was very poorly advised and very poorly put together. And I wore rubbish trainers, so I ended up trying to tendon my foot um so i kind of missed a bit of time there uh, i went to the world juniors actually in very good shape like i hadn't lost that much and i think i jogged through the semi-final maybe like 45-9 or something but i remember or 46-1 but i remember walking the last 50 meters and i was like okay this is good and instead of just capitalizing on that i was like ah i'm gonna go around 44 seconds today uh, tomorrow and instead of running 44 seconds i ended up coming third in 45 something just because i was just trying to trying another mistake trying to go and do something special in the final rather than just doing that what i was ready to do uh and it was very frustrating i remember nick being there <laughs> I, I i didn't want to do any media uh i remember kind of being a bit sulky and all that but uh it, it was uh it was still a world junior medal it was something that in from taking doing the sport for fun and um going from like sessions at two day two two sessions a week to, in 2000 2005 2004 to 2005 uh to go into the world juniors and pick up bronze medal was pretty good in 2006 so um it was it was an amazing thing to be a part of and we got a bronze medal in the 4x4 which the 4x4 again always offers, offers me an opportunity to kind of like mm. get over things i think i split 44 2 um I, I do know I split 42, but anyway, <laughs> I just pretend don't be I don't shy. Know. Don't be shy. Yeah, I, don't <laughs> no, I split. I remember I ran quick, and I, I remember I got the baton in about seventh or sixth or something like that, uh, and uh, chasing down this massive Kenyan guy who happened to be David Radisha. Um, oh, right. And yeah, it was a big scalp to take. So basically, I do remember like he uh, he'd won the 800, and there was a gap down the inside of my pocket, and uh, he reminded me of it before or off are uh, 500 in gateshead uh, <laughs> before then he smoked me in that so <laughs> but uh, it was it was cool it was an amazing thing to do just to go to beijing my dad came and he was uh exploring the place and he was watching people on building sites and eating uh chicken claw soup and stuff like that so for um for the Roonies, it was a big experience Great family experience great okay uh, a year after it was it was uh, the osaka world championships you're, you're sort of a part of the fixture of the senior team now but it was a bit of a down year for you wasn't it in terms of struggling with injury that year a uh, little little injuries mm. actually what really happened was um i think i've talked about it before but i had a new training partner come join the group a guy called david gillick uh irish 400 meter runner i think he mm. was european indoor champion before he joined the group and he basically did what i did to everybody else like so he came into the group and smashed us on everything that destroyed us and it was like for me i'd like built up this thing of I'm amazing at training. I'm really good at this, blah, blah, blah. And David came in and just destroyed me. And he didn't do it. He wasn't arrogant or cocky or anything. It was just like mm. what it, what I'd built up for myself 
uh, he'd kind of just come in and go, cool, right, I'm going to match it and better it. And um, I struggled with that. I definitely did. I, I, I think I finished with 45-4 that year. I think I split 44-1 or something in Osaka, 44-2 or something in Osaka. So I was in good shape, but I just couldn't get it to, to work. Um, and I think that was the mentality of just like uh, not being number one in training. And okay. it, it kind of, if I hadn't had that, I wouldn't have learned another lesson. It was about learning how to train and how to, not everything's a race, everything's there to kind of build towards the next thing rather than you have to be excellent on this day. It's about how you keep building towards the, the end goal. Okay. Okay. So you're, you're, you're studying at Loughborough at the time as well, Loughborough University. I, I stopped studying that summer. Uh, that okay. mm, can't remember when. It would have been like maybe March or April. I just I wasn't balancing uh, my my college. I was at Loughborough College and I wasn't balancing it. So. Okay. Okay. So all about the athletics. Next year, Olympic year, big one. Um, and you were in great shape that year, weren't you? Yeah. Like as I said, I learned a big lesson training with David. Um, and instead of being like losing race reps or whatever, I saw it as just like it's just another challenge just there to help me. And we, me, myself and David, worked so well together. It was it was amazing. For a couple of years, we had just this relationship where we got it. We got what we were about. We got I got what he was good at. He got what I was good at. And we kind of just used each other for everything. And to that winter, yeah, I just yeah, things were clicking. I couldn't. I can't describe how fun it was just to be in, like both of us were smashing it both of us were doing well in training and celebrating each other for it so it was a, a really really positive winter and then summer I think I went unbeaten until I got to the Olympic Games I think my semi-final Olympic Games where I came I ran a PB but I came second behind on Sean Merritt and I think that was my first loss oh no I'd lost to Andrew Steele the British champs okay. he, beat the, he beat me in the semi-final I remember looking across at him and he wanted it. And I was like, okay, cool. You've got it, mate. But he, he was a great racer, Andrew Steele. And, and he went to well, he went to Olympic Games around 44-9. So yeah. it, uh, it was, uh, it was um, yeah, it was not a bad person to lose to. LaShawn Merritt and then uh, and yeah. Andrew Steele. Just ahead of the Olympics, it showed what great shape you were in. There was a good, I was watching this week, actually, uh, you winning in Monaco. That's a, that hmm. must have been a big, I mean, that, Monaco is one of those, you know, it's a big, you know, it's a big event. It's prestigious. It's great atmosphere. All mm -hmm. the big dogs are there. It must have been a great place to win just in the evening of the Olympics. Yeah, like, to be honest, actually, a couple of days before, maybe three days before I won in London. Um, and mm -hmm. Crystal Palace for me was the biggest meet in the world. I didn't know anything about. I was still quite naive to the sport. If I'm honest, mm -hmm. like uh, the, the circuits and the Golden Leagues and all those kind of things. Um, I'd say like 2007, 2008. Like 2007, I did a lot of the smaller meets, and in 2008, I was doing a lot of the same level, but I was winning them comfortably. Mm. Uh, and then, so I went to Crystal Palace and I ran 44.8, big PB, um, and I was just like flying. I remember I had, I had barbecue at home with my parents that night, and then went to Monaco and just did the same thing again. I didn't really change anything. I was just, I remember I came to, I was in lane three, which was amazing to be in lane three in Monaco, um, and I remember looking across at the clock at uh, 100 meters to go and it said like 32 low and I was like ah oh, this people can run 43 seconds I genuinely in my head for years I'd always I'd been told or had the Im image of like oh to run 43 seconds you have to be on drugs or whatever and that was <clears throat> ignorance and naivety um, but at that point it was kind of like a little epiphany I was like ah oh, I'm actually pretty fresh now uh, 100 meters to go in Monaco <laughs> 
there's two guys that are just ahead of me, just over here. All I've got to do is stride down home straight. I'm going to win. And that's all I did. I ran 44-7. I crossed the line kind of going, oh, another PB. I didn't really yeah. like, it didn't feel like it was that quick. It just happened to be that you're in a good place, you're running well, and that's the event. If you're in a good place and you're in good form and you've got a good feel for where you're at, you can run quick times. And so yeah, Monaco was amazing. I think the scariest bit was I threw the flowers after the race and I was worried it wasn't going to make it over the fence. So I was like, just run a PB, giving it some kind of whoop, throwing the, throwing the flowers. I was like, no. And it made it over. I was so happy. It made it over. <laughs> Relieved. Um, and uh, yeah, it was cool. It was uh, it was uh, an amazing, like, I, to be honest, I cocked it up, though. I, I missed the dinner with the prince because um, no one told my agent was that wasn't there. And I'd been invited to sit at the table with the prince for the guy. Oh, afterwards. prince. Okay. And no one had told me. <laughs> so. Um, oh no, there wasn't an empty chair next to the prince, was there? Uh, on the table, <laughs> yeah. Um, so I went for food with Michael Rimmer and Chris, uh, long time Chris Thompson, uh, Chris Tomlinson. Um, well, I think we went for like spag bowl somewhere around the corner. Just came back to the gala and I just like saw these glaring stares at me, <laughs> like uh, like Ava and all these all the big big athletes that were sitting at this table and there was a space there that I was meant to be at and I was like I literally ditched to the back of the room, sat there, I didn't say all that. <laughs> you ditched the prince, dearie me. Oh, I know. <laughs> Terrible. Once in a lifetime opportunity. And then the Olympics itself. Um, I mean, you're still 21 at this time. You're still a young mm. man. Um, you finished sixth at the uh, at the Olympics. Um, how do you view that now? How do you view that? Uh, still, it was a missed opportunity. Like, it wasn't a quick time to come. Like, it was a time that I was capable of coming third. Mm. I think um, the guys who beat me were all very experienced runners. They're all regular uh, world champs finalists or NCAA champions and stuff. And I think I just hadn't had the exposure to racing rounds at that level. Like, I'd been to the Commonwealth in 06, but it was you're running 45s. When you go to the Olympics, it's like I, I started off with 45 flat. I went 44.6 at a day off and then a final. And I think I went 45.1, which mm. probably wasn't a bad kind of return. But I feel like um, with a bit more experience, a bit more now, like I could have run a 44.7, 44.8. Like I was very fit. Uh, I was comfortably able to do it. It was within my body to do it. But um, I think it's just knowing how to do it under pressure in the Olympic final. Um, and yeah just instead I, I tried to force it instead of just rolling with it and as I said like in Monaco when I ran there I, I didn't force it I was just running around the track um, and I think in Beijing in the final I was just trying to force it I was trying to there's a medal here you've got to go work for it you've got to go beat people to get to get there rather than just let your body do the work mm-hmm. okay 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 um, and so it was, it was a more of a mental thing than a physical thing it was just that actual yeah like I, I came back and yeah. I did the heats of the relay the next day and I think I strode like a 44 low I was literally I got told off for wagging my baton at a guy who I didn't really get on with <laughs> at the time and um, yeah I was, I was stro- strolling around the track it was nice and easy so I knew I was more more than comfortable at that level yeah um, and I was fit enough and it was yeah I think it was just in a case of uh, being in senior championships running 44s more regularly yeah that's the big okay thing, so. okay and then in the, in the relay they finished fourth but you did a barnstorming yeah. leg there didn't you i mean it was upgraded eventually upgraded to bronze this wasn't it but um there's a hell yeah. of a leg you ran there yeah like um as i said the day before i'd been wagging my baton uh we won our heat 
okay. boys ran amazingly well. They ran out of their skin. Who, was, who were you wagging your baton at? I do have a vague recollection of that now, but I can't remember. Um, a Jamaican athlete, um, oh, Ricardo Chambers, who actually in Monaco, um, like in the call-up, there's a, there can't be, you're quite close to your competitors. Um, you're obviously in a small little area. There's like a couple of chairs lined up and he was just going at me going 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 at me in, in Monaco and he was speaking in um he's speaking uh, I think it's Jamaica uh, Pat, Pat, well, I don't know but he was absolutely killing me and I didn't really understand what was going on but Jermaine Mason was there and Jermaine Mason started cussing him out like started going at him and then he said oh he wants to kill you he's going to actually kill you actual kill you, like murder you whatever and I was like all right whatever man <laughs> this is racing so when I went to Beijing and he's sitting on my shoulder I was like come on mate let's see what you got come on come on and uh yeah, it was embarrassing like when you look back on it. But uh, I suppose if you know what's going on behind the scenes, it's kind yeah. of a bit like, yeah. like... And those are things that you kind of... like. He's uh, He had a great career, Ricardo. Um, and uh, I think he went on to 44, mid to low as well. Um, but I think I just wound him up that year. I think I beat him at every race that year. And I think he was just getting sick of it. <laughs> but then in the final, yeah, I got the baton maybe in fifth uh, behind... Uh, a Jamaican and a Russian and a, be- a Belgian and it was the Belgian who kind of messed up the Jamaican in the first hundred he was just he went out really slow and I was like I need to get past you really quickly so he kind of blocked me off and then the Belgian when I came off the bend he swung wide so I had to go and go out into lane like three or something like that and I think with those two things if we did if there'd been less traffic we'd easily got the bronze medal uh we wouldn't have to wait eight years to get it yeah, um, yeah. but that's relay racing that's the beauty of it that's the that's the excitement it's um it offers so much and there's so many little races like the 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 u.s team was incredible that year they were so far ahead um it was an amazing thing to if you just go back and watch their relay don't worry about the rest of the race it's an amazing thing to watch on its own but the other little stories that happened along the way were uh, for other countries were amazing as well with lucky landslots you can get lucky just about anywhere dearly beloved we are gathered here today to has anyone seen the bride and groom Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Mm-hmm. Okay. And what's it like? I mean, what's how do you process that Olympic bronze then now? How do you, like you say, you didn't get it until eight years later. Um, I buried uh, it. Uh, I got on with it. I think I'd had a couple of years of like big chip on my shoulder and just assumed you were never gonna like. It. I knew that the Russian team was was cheating. Um, there was there's no way they were capable of that time as a group of individuals. They didn't have that in the locker. Um, it, it's just so outlandish for them to have run that quick. It was like, and we'd be, we'd beaten them that year by a couple of seconds already at the Europa Cup. Mm. Uh, so I was like, there's just no way that this same group of guys can go and run 258 low whatever it was they ran um but you just had to accept it uh and I, I was very lucky like later on in my career 2015 I went to the same stadium and I picked up a bronze medal there in the relay so I had had my moment on the podium in Beijing mm. and uh yeah it was all kind of buried it was all done for me so to get it later on was a, it was more actually about just the recognition for the guys the team uh for the coaches uh and like yeah we weren't a failure <laughs> not so, not so. The next year it was a Berlin World Champs. So you got the semis there. Um, yeah. I got got a very good silver in the relay though. 
So yeah. what, what, good championships for you? Or uh, I've had a, 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 big, a big hamstring tear in April. I think uh, after 2008, not winning the medal uh, in the relay or the individual, um, I trained at a different level. Like uh, I was, the problem was I trained at such a high level, but I wasn't conditioned to handle what I was capable of doing. If that makes sense. So the engine I'd built was like a, I don't know, a V8 engine. But I only had the chassis of like a Ford Fiesta and I just couldn't hold it together. So like um, in April, uh, I ran a, a PB over over 350. I think it went 37.9. Uh, the year before I'd been 38.4 or something like that. So I was like a half second quicker than what I'd run in 2008. Um, and then a week later, I just tore my hamstring, big tendon tear in my hamstring because I was just putting down. I was just moving in a way that my body wasn't capable of holding together. And my, my training partner David had an amazing year like we both again we had another good winter together and we'd worked well together and um he made the world final that year uh, and I I'd say like yeah there's a medal there to be won so it was disappointing but to still go there and pick up a medal with the relay was uh um in a in a race where it was a tactical race and it was a fun way to do it and uh, it was uh it was an amazing experience to be a part of for a group of guys to win a world medal it was the first, my first world medal, and um, yeah, it was uh, to be in that that stadium uh, where Bolt had done so much that year. Uh, to just pick up a medal there, it was it was, it was very cool. And Australia coming coming third as well, which is yeah. kind of unheard of at that level. But a uh, group of guys that I'd known for a while, obviously from the Commonwealth uh, in Melbourne, uh, had a, a small affinity too. So it was it was kind of nice to be on the podium with them. Mm. Nice, nice, nice. There, there was a lot of talk at the start of your career about about going back to the 800 metres. I, I assume by this point that was that had gone by the wayside, had it? Or I don't know. I think 2000. That, like I said, that's that winter in 2009. I felt like I was in I was in good shape. I feel like uh, I had reached a level where 43s were kind of like within my realm. It was something that I was consciously thought about. I just didn't feel like if I was going to move up to 800. I was ever going to achieve, well, not, I'd achieved good things in the 800, but I really wanted to run 43 seasons. And uh, yeah, I just hung on to that, hung on to it for too long. I think uh, maybe at that point, uh, one of the regrets I have in my career is I ran basically 400s and 4x4s. I didn't really do twos, I didn't do eights, I didn't do ones, you know, like, um, and I really wish in those periods there where I had gone and just done an 800 just to have a go at it, like the shape that we I was in. I think we ran like 75 seconds for 600 in training. We did that quite regularly. Uh, myself and David both ran that those kind of times. So that's kind of, if we could have held it together, you, you're talking about 147, 148 as 400 meter runners. So um, yeah, I regret not having that time next to my name just to kind of, just yeah, to know, yeah. Yeah. Mm. yeah. Mm. Okay, okay. I'll, I'll just get forward a bit now, but we're, we're, we're thick into... Um, the lead up to London 2012 now with um, you had a, you won a bronze at Europeans uh, semis at Daegu World Championships. Um, I mean, were you very? Uh, what was it? What was it like being a, being one of the top British athletes with and a Londoner in particular? And London 2012 like looming on the horizon. Was it? Uh, was it? Did you feel? Did you feel the cracking up of pressure? Definitely, there was a there was a build up. I think 2010 was a fun year. I should have won the Europeans, but I messed up my semi-final and then in the final rescued a bronze and then um yeah 2011 like 
really know. Like I remember I picked up a knee injury in January and instead of with better knowledge now, I'd had surgery that week and I'd have been running normally three or four weeks later. But I just kind of left. We kind of said, oh, we'll wait to the end of the year. And um, I made the semi-final. I had a really good opportunity to make the final. I didn't. I had a middle lane in the semi-final with a Karani James beside me. All I had to do was follow him around and I'd have qualified. But um, mm. uh, and then in the relay, we ran piss. <laughs> Ish. It was awful. <laughs> um, we made the final. But uh, yeah, it was poor, poor, poor championships. Uh, so 2012, it was kind of like there wasn't really huge amounts on us as a group of athletes, of 400 meter runners. Um, uh, there was the one thing we we were worried about was like a, it was distractions, like a, I think you can talk to Matt now about learning about how to handle distractions he's done it amazingly well um and i probably needed that yeah Yeah, Matt Smith. sorry yeah Mm. uh the way he's handled himself this year has been incredible and it was kind of i wish i'd have learned that at a younger age um and uh i think 2012 so we basically tried to shut ourselves off from everything so i got an altitude 10 and i was told if you don't do 12 hours a day then you've wasted months of all this like staying in this horrible bloody tent that stunk and bo <laughs> and you kind of just like so i committed to that and uh stayed in this altitude tent and i kind of switched myself off to 2012 as much as i could okay okay um and, and also i must ask you this time there was um uh charles man was the head coach at the time he was he was a, yeah. a high profile head coach in the london 2012 what was your relationship like with charles uh, I'd met I've met him the first time actually in 2009. So when I tore my hamstring, that was the first yeah. time I met him. Okay. Uh, um, he was alright. I I think uh, I did I enjoyed your podcast with him. It was good. Um, I get <laughs> on quite well with him now actually. Like I haven't spoke to him a lot more now. But as an athlete, no, we didn't. I think he um, he has this uh, thing where he he thinks he knows everything. And as I as a young man, I think I realised that you don't know everything. And I kind of I find it hard to respect people who think they know everything because I'm like, well, you're only common yourself. Like I still try to tell people like, if you try to think you know everything about everything, but even one thing in particular, and you're not, not thinking about learning something, then you're you're conning yourself. So I always felt like with him, I remember I asked him, so what's your strongest event? He says everything. So like, from then on, I was a bit like, well, who are you conning? Like, <laughs> like, so I always kind of had a bit of a standoff relationship with him my most of my meetings would be done with Nick taking there and Nick was very good at controlling uh not controlling the narrative but he'd always have the right answer at the right time mm. so uh but Charles he he has skills that uh, work for a lot of athletes and um I think there was probably times later on in my career where I'd have really worked well with him but at that stage of my career it was just not the right not the right person right that's interesting interesting uh, did I recall it right once that you, you actually bought a pair of Charles Van Comedy glasses though? Did I see you walking over with a pair of Charles Van Comedy glasses yeah, no, <laughs> or a group of athletes? Fuzz, Fuzz bought them as a, a joke <laughs> for the team photo, uh, as Fuzz liked to do. He used to lighten the mood, he used to try and uh, chill things out. And I think it was 2012, we all had Charles Van Comedy glasses. Uh, but I feel like there's also like, maybe I wore them beforehand. I oh, was it Europeans. I think it was Europeans actually. Because um, yeah. I wore them in the, in the studio with, Michael Bingham after we won our medals. <laughs> okay. Nice, that's right. Yeah, I remember that. Yeah. <laughs> um, so no, Charles, uh, I think he offered a lot later on in my career. He was definitely a, a better person for me to speak to, but maybe not as a youngster. It was, okay. Uh, yeah. Okay. The other thing is around this time as well, when did the whole um, 
you know, with your surname, you would get Rooney <laughs> uh, echoing around the stadium. When when did that really kick off? When was the big? I assume the biggest crescendo of that was at London 2012, was it? Yeah, L- London 2012 was probably the first time it really happened. I think um, I uh, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> get goosebumps when you think about it now. But uh, in my semi-final in London, um, there was just this one person shouted it. And then there was a small section shouted it, and then like half the stadium, and then the whole stadium started shouting it. And literally, I, I, my my whole went from relaxed, cool, ready to do a job, to super tight. I couldn't relax. All I could think about was don't fall start, don't fall start, don't fall start, and the whole race was gone. Like there was no. I, I think uh, uh, I wasn't 100% healthy at the time, but I was still like I started the year very well. I think I was like world number one at the start of the year and all that kind of stuff. So I was in good shape. Uh, capable of making the final and uh, yeah that whole plan just disappeared as soon as I heard that chant I was like like the regret of not speak trying to speak to Wayne Rooney literally just find a way we were both sponsored by Nike I I wish we'd have been like able to kind of bridge that gap uh, and like ask how he handles it like I think it's uh, it was an amazing experience to have and I reveled in it later on in my career but when it's the Olympic semi-final and it's the first time you really hear it, it's just, this is not the time. <laughs> no. So have you actually met Wayne Rooney then? Have you actually no, got together? No. Okay. No, I never, okay. never got the opportunity, unfortunately. Um, even when he was at Derby, I thought there might be an opportunity there um, yeah. through a, a mutual uh, acquaintance and stuff. But um, I've heard great things about the man. Um, yeah. I, my a drug tester told me once um, that he used to test him as well. And he was just like, very down to earth, normal bloke. Um, mm. So yeah, I wish I'd have got the opportunity to just speak with him. I think people like Adam Jamelia have probably met him. Adam mm. meets most people in life. He's famous. Um, but yeah, uh, yeah, he he's meant to be solid. And uh, yeah, I think uh, as a, a learning experience, would have been we we spoke we spoke to like sports psychologists through British Athletics, and they they weren't prepared for that. They didn't. No one was like. There's no. The only people you can speak to are the people who've been in that situation. And that's something that I, I did later on in life. I spoke to as many athletes and senior athletes as I could. Um, so I learned from that. OK, OK. So, it, I mean, it didn't go as you wanted, did it? It was a semi-final. You got to uh, fourth in the four by four. Um, how do you deal with that afterwards? I mean, there's, there's the country celebrating, but you've not really achieved your goals. You know, I, I, don't, I don't mean to pick at your scabs here, but. Uh, it's, no, no, it's all right. I went out and got drunk with Di. Um, <laughs> uh, myself and Di kind of went through the age groups together we knew each other very well um, and I think we just enjoyed the party scene I suppose like uh, my wife Kate was there or she was my girlfriend at the time um, so we just went out and enjoyed it I think um, I think that's the only thing you could do if you, you could wallow in self-pity and whatever or you could go out there and try and enjoy yourself and um, yeah a group of us I like, used to we, I think we went out twice basically but we had a great time um, Myself and Di, uh, Kate. Um, it was yeah, it was a it was an interesting group of people. Like, uh, well, I suppose uh, one of my good friends was Oscar Pistorius, and we went out with him and had a an amazing night with him and his family. And I'd known Oscar for a while beforehand, so it was uh, a really cool way of seeing London and seeing him out and about. And uh, yeah, it was a, it was um it was a great time to go to uh, to be in London. Mm. Definitely, yeah. Well, you, you've mentioned Oscar there, so it's, it's it's we can't really pass pass by the the incidents of what happened in 2013. He was a training partner, friend of yours. Um, mm. Where were you when you heard about the shocking? Um... So, 
Um, I, I flew back on for my brother's birthday a couple of days beforehand. I'd only been out there for a couple of, I'd been out there for like three or four weeks um, and trained really well. I had a really good camp, um, basically kick-started my winter. And um, yeah, I came back and, and it was actually, Kate was, she'd gone to, she'd retired after 2012 and she was working in, we were living in Birmingham briefly and uh, she'd gone to work and she rang me on the way to work. She said, have you turned on the radio? Turn. And I think, um, someone I think it might have been Liz British Athletics had sent me an email and said oh if you need to, we need to do some kind of statement or something I was like what do you mean like, and then yeah you, you turn on the news you see what's going on you're like wow like um it was it was very shocking and sad and for all people involved mm. Mm. have you had any contact since then at all yeah I've, I've seen Oscar I, I, I've been to see him a couple of times um I used to go training there quite a bit uh but in, in Cape Town uh, Stellenbosch and then I'd always try and tie in a visit on the way up. Um, yeah, so I've seen him in prison twice. I'd spent the next year, I was actually there for a week, uh, five days, five days with him uh, when he was before pre court and stuff like that. And uh, very tough uh, for him. Like, um, got on very well with the family. They were nice people. Um, and yeah, um, I feel like everyone. Uh, in life deserves more than one up you need chances and uh for forgiveness and stuff so okay i have my view on like what happened i know a lot of that goes on behind the scenes in, in south africa now and i think you kind of you realize the the uh, how intensely um petrified someone can be if that's if that makes sense so so oscar yeah i i think Uh, he's killed someone. Um, do I think he intended to do it? No, I think he had too much going for him in his life for it to e- even consider something like that. Um, and I think it's just a, a reaction to uh, uh, the the anxiety or whatever, the fear that he was going through at the time. So, yeah, but he, uh, prison and stuff, there's nothing more than, uh, nothing more than what's going through his head and what he, he's put himself through himself. So, uh, the punishment he's put himself through uh, is, yeah, probably the biggest thing. Nothing's ever black and white, is it? No. Um, and I, I think, like, you learn a lot about them. I learned a lot about the media in that period. Uh, I learned a lot about what you read and stuff, and you're like, like, having, like, you know, you read stuff, and you're like, well, what, how can they report that? Like, you look at BBC, and they're reporting something, you're like, where does that come from? Like, what are you, like you're making it up from the spot or some one journalist has said it so now everyone says it and it's just uh mm. yeah so i did learn a lot um and uh yeah it's just a very like it for the families both families especially reva's family it's just a, a horrible thing that's happened and um i hope at some stage they all uh i think uh i, I know oscar's met the dad but he hasn't met the mum so yeah we'll see yeah okay okay interesting interesting so um Okay, we'll move on from that. Um, and that year itself um, was, uh, well, quite a year for you, I guess, uh, in that respect. But also, um, in terms of your athletics, um, did you have injury problems that year? You didn't really go to the ind- individual at Moscow, did you? Uh, so actually, in 2012, I tore my hip. I tore my, um, I ran in, <clears throat> I ran in Henglo early in the summer. I ran like 
uh, I think I'd been one of I'd, I'd raced in Mount Sac and I was world number one. I went to Doha, came fifth or something like that, running 44.9. And then I went to um, Hengelo and basically I decided I was going to twat it or flat out. 20, mm. I was like, right, I'm just going to hit it. I had a good lane. I was in a great race. And I think I went 20.90 through 200, which is for me was just, I might as well have been going 19 seconds. It was so quick. Um, but to stay in my lane, I had to kind of like smash my leg down into the floor quite hard. And I think um, it's probably like the, the 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 what's the word when you know when it's just like the last thing that happened to kind of make the hip go. Probably my because my kid conditioning wasn't good enough to go at that speed. I was just not strong enough to hold it together. Um, and yeah, I tore uh, my labrum in my hip uh, in Hengelo, and then the rest of the summer was a bit rubbish. But we had surgery on it uh, in September, so. Yeah, 2013 was a bit of a write-off. It was just a bit like uh, I didn't jog until just December. I went to South Africa in January and I really just kick-started my training then. And um, yeah, then I came back and I joined the Rainer Riders group. Um, and uh, yeah, I was just chasing the whole time. It was always like just trying to hold on to the to people like Christian Taylor and James Ellington, Harry Akins and mm. Dwayne Chambers. And it was just like people in the group, you were just trying to hang on to them as much as you could. Daniel Carruthers, people like that, you know, just mm. kicking your ass every day. So um, it started poorly, but it finished well. Um, I went to the World Champs, ran in Moscow. And I think around then I was starting to kind of be in full health and training well. And the relays gave me, uh, I didn't run great, but yeah. it gave me the kind of, the kickstart I needed. I was watching. It's one of it's one of those seasons, and athletes sometimes get that where it doesn't. It's, it's all about timing, like like, like, you, like you said earlier. It's um, the championship didn't come around at the right time for you. But back, back into the season, you were you were winning in Brussels, beating the yeah. you know a huge crowd there to watch the Borleys, and you were uh, <laughs> and you quieting them all down really. Yeah, um, I think um, when joining Rainer's group was uh, it was a lot about the training group and a lot about the man as a coach, like he's an exceptional coach and his way of getting into if I'd have been working with him maybe in 2008 I'd been going, I'd been prepared for that final in a way that I, I wasn't uh, being in Loughborough I think uh, he has a, a, a winning mentality which is abrasive to a lot of people but if you're part of his team it's, it's, it's he's fully involved in what you're doing and committed to you um, so yeah he, he had belief in me I, I think I went and raced in Linz in Austria and I won there in 45 something and pouring rain it was a horrific day and I ran like on the outside I just ran my own time trial and I beat some good guys who'd been at the world champs and run well and then I went to Zagreb I think I was in lane two or lane one and I beat some good guys there and I was around another season's best and I basically I'd, before Linz I'd got into Brussels I was running poorly um the only reason I got in is because it was the ball age race and I was running so badly but I was a bit of a name still so it was kind of like okay cool you can come and then I went to Brussels and Jack Borley said don't win this race <laughs> just before <laughs> and I was like uh, uh, Joe Borley just come fourth at the Worlds I was like no way I'm, in, I'm not competing with him he's not if he's in shape he's going to batter me anyway it doesn't matter and uh, yeah I, I, I was in an outside lane like seven I think of a nine lane track so I still had guys outside of me but I just rolled off the bend and I was like oh I'm in a dogfight here this is good and it was with uh, Joe Borley and uh, yeah I just managed to hang on like uh, I think he came into the off the bend slightly ahead of me but I managed to just 
bite him down the home straight and um yeah i managed to pick him on the line uh nice, to nice. the to the dismay of the home crowd <laughs> it's one of, it's a great stadium though isn't it that one it's one of the, it's one of the great athletic stadiums uh it's probably my favorite meet i think um yeah. brussels is uh when they were looking to tear down the van damme stadium to make it a football stadium i was gutted um my parents came to my last race there uh and they like they were treated like VIPs and stuff by the people there. They really looked after us and really like, um, yeah, it was just, it was a special place to race. And it, it's, uh, yeah, I, I think it was just, um, when you've got 50,000 people, 55,000 people who love the sport there in a stadium that's built to really be a spectator stadium, it was, uh, it's a special place to race. Mm-hmm. Okay, okay. Let's get to 2014. Uh, it feels like it was a crunch year for you to sort of, to win something really and to, yeah. Wasn't it? I mean, Commonwealth Games, Europeans. Um, yeah, there was a yeah, lot. There. I mean, did did you feel a bit of pressure on on that year? Definitely. I think when you're in a group like I was in, where you are surrounded by Olympic champions, world champions, medalists from every championships, and people mm-hmm. looking to go to world records, you know, you, you kind of um, you have to raise your game. I feel like uh, before I joined Raiden's group, I felt like I knew a lot about the sport, and then you join the group and you're like surrounded by these people who are just so driven. So I had to go to what there was no way I could go to the, any of these championships without coming back with a medal. And Commonwealths, yeah, I, I found I, I'd been I'd won the British champs and I was struggling to find the shape that I was, should have been in. Um, I was in great shape, but I was struggling to find my rhythm because I was just trying to run 44 seconds, uh, 43 seconds, 44. I hadn't even got to 44. I was trying to run 43. Um, so I went to Commonwealths and I kind of found some rhythm uh, in the final. I got caught up in be I was in lane lane between Wade and Karani James and I knew they both got out hard and I was like just don't go out too hard but then I went too slow I came home quite well but yeah I got beaten by Karani Wade and and Lalonda Gordon so like world record holder Olympic champion Olympic bronze medalist it was tough to come forth but um I had a uh, a moment where I sat between uh, Karani and Greg Rutherford in anti-doping and uh, they were yeah. just showing each other their gold medals over the top of me. I was sitting there going, yeah, guys, yeah, <laughs> thanks. Um, so I knew going to the Europeans, so there was only thing I could, one thing I'd do was just win it. Like, yeah. Just to even come away from the group with the group, with people like Tiffany there and uh, like Harry was picking up a medal and Chris Tomlinson, people like there were so many of us in the group who were there. Um, and we were all just there to, to either PB or to win. And um, yeah, if I didn't, I'd, I'd have just been the bottom of the group as always. All oh, right, okay, but it was, it was uh, it must have been a relief, and it's, it's a good place to win as well, Zurich. And it's and and mm. I, I shouldn't I shouldn't really uh, you know uh, you know rank European Championships, but a European Championship um, that's outside of the Olympic year feels like a, a proper European Championship. Is that fair to say? But it's it's the main yeah. Championship of the year. Yeah, it is. I think. Um, that was for me like the goal. Like I pulled out the relay at the Commonwealth Games, and I love a relay. Like genuinely, I, I love the relay so much. So to pull out of the European at the Commonwealth to prepare for the Europeans, I knew it was the main thing to be there for, the main thing of the year. And um, yeah, it was a massive relief. Like Matt was obviously coming onto the scene. He'd beaten me in Glasgow that year. He was uh, the man in shape. He hadn't done the British champs. He hadn't done the Commonwealth, so he was fresh. Um, so I knew it was it was going to be tougher for like this is my my third championships of the summer and I knew it was going to be tough but um, yeah it was good like like I said I was in the group with the mentality of winning um, and uh, yeah I didn't I didn't run a great race 
I I'd run much better in my my heats and semi-finals. My heat actually was amazing at that chance. But for for something that worked for me, it clicked. It was perfect. Um, and uh, if I'd have run that in the final, I'd probably run like 44-3, 44-4. But um, the finals are hard. They're tough. Uh, but I won, and that was the main thing. Yeah. I think, uh, yeah. Good to get that. Good to get that win. Yeah. Good. Good. And the next year, actually, you got your PB in Beijing at the World Championships. Yeah. Yeah, yeah it, was a, it was an interesting year. Um, once again, like I was kind of, I'd built on 2014. I was like, it's, I didn't want to be, I didn't really enjoy the Europeans. Uh, I didn't get to enjoy that moment as much uh, because, mm. like I said, you're in a group of world champions, Olympic champions. The Europeans is just like down here somewhere. And I was like, well, I want to win a world medal now. Um, so literally on my victory lap with Matt, I was already thinking about the next year. I was already thinking about how far I need to go and how far I need to push on. Um, and um yeah i trained very well uh, but another year where i trained very well in the group and i tore my quad in april quite a decent tear and I, when you're in a group like that you always want to keep pushing and performing and i didn't tell rainer i didn't tell him i tore my quad i kind of like tried to style it out for maybe another week and a half and i, I think i did some 150s with christian and i literally walked off the track so rainer i tore my quad <laughs> And he, he basically cussed me out for it <laughs> because he, he invests in us and he was pissed at me for not telling him. And then, uh, yeah, I missed quite a few races at the start of summer um, and I had to fight for, uh, I didn't run great at the British Champs. I don't know what I did at British Champs that year. I think Matt, no, no, no. So Matt was injured. Rabo was in great shape and Jared Dunn was in great shape. Um, and I came at third at the British Champs uh, and I got smoked by these two. Um and I had an automatic qualifier for the world champs, but British Athletics weren't going to take me. They said you can only go for the relay, uh, to which I said I appealed. And then, um, yeah, like uh, my Kate, my wife was pregnant. Oh, we'd been married by then. Uh, she was pregnant and baby was due whilst it's in Beijing. So I was like, oh, all right, guys, I'm, I think I'm going to have to leave it. Like, um, kind of said, like, uh, if you're not going to select me for the individual, I'm, I'm going to stay at home. And uh, I won in Stockholm and then. I got picked for the individual. No, I came third in Stockholm, sorry. Um, I didn't win my appeal, but I got picked for the individual, so it all worked out. Okay. Got PB in the heats, and um, it sound, it's very selfish when you sound like say it like that, but I felt like I was, I was doing, uh, kind of had to play a game with selections and selectors because I felt they were playing a game with me and my coaching situation. I was obviously still coached by Rayner and he, he wasn't part of the British flag system then. So it just felt like a lot of politics and um, it was a shame it got to that point, but maybe all those things kind of pushed me to run. I, I was team captain as well. So uh, maybe that was a, like all those aspects and finally being in good shape at championships, going into a heat uh, where you're in, in the deep end. There's so much to it. Like, yeah. I could talk to you about Beijing, like just getting there and being the, the, my favourite stadium in the world, the, the best stadium that's ever been built, in my yeah. opinion. There's nothing that compares to it. And yeah, just, it's a crazy place, yeah. yeah. I walked out and I think third place in the heat before me was 44.60, which was my PB. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I was in a heat with the Asian champion, world indoor champion, African champion. I was European champion. There was two other guys who were like 44 low guys who'd been running on the circuit. I was like, this is a fight. You've just got to go out and give everything. Mm-hmm. And yeah, so to run a PB then was under, under pressure. I didn't win the race. I came fourth, but it was one in 43.9. Two guys yeah. ran 43.9. Uh, world number one at the time came third. So it was um, it was an amazing 
race to be part of um and yeah uh i was glad i kind of could after all the fighting and stuff that had happened beforehand to kind of come out and prove that i wasn't past it which had been on my uh, appeal uh, <laughs> on, on the notes basically someone in the selection that said he was at 27 years old was past it so yeah wow okay uh, wow past it at 27 eh i wish i was past it at 27 <laughs> uh, <laughs> take that uh, but it was, a, it was also a crazy relay there wasn't it i was watching that relay the other night and it was um mm. it was a real dog fight wasn't it it was yeah, yeah. a lot um, in contention for medals it wasn't the american streak in a way was it it was um it was a lot of you coming off the off the into into the last lap in with a shout yeah like um rubber rubber had had an amazing world champ so he'd made the world individual final uh 44 5 i think he ran that year at the champs and like he'd come back and he ran five races for us and every race was on point it was amazing so he set us up in an amazing position um delano did like he'd come into the team uh as a 200 meter runner i think he ran 44 0 like done an amazing job jared kind of was in the middle of like a massive pack of athletes and he ran i think like 45 0 but he was in the mix um uh, a very physical run he had to go through uh so i knew i was if i was within touching distance so i was kind of my only regret was that i was behind the belgian again <laughs> in the first 100 meters i felt like if i'd have been in front of the belgian i could have attacked i think i was fourth jamaican was behind me uh javon francis and i felt like if i was in third i could have really made an attack on uh, the first two because i knew the way they ran i knew everything about how they put their races together and i just knew that if i was within touching distance of LaShawn. Uh, 150 to go i could really put him under pressure he might still run away from me but at least i could be in contention for a gold medal um but yeah it was javon francis made the move down the back straight which was actually not a bad decision um it just it was unfortunately it was up against uh well myself and lashawn and uh Sidinio from uh, trinidad who are very good at what we did in relay so yeah, I think against most other athletes, he'd have been fine. But I think against that group of people, it was a, uh, it was it was unfortunate for him. It was not going to work. You knew what you were doing. You knew what you were doing. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, like I I knew every step of that race, what was happening, and um, it was a it was like an 800 meter race more than a four by four. So yeah. yeah, yeah, okay, okay. And you got to the Olympics next year as well. You got shot at it. You got to the semi-finals there. Yeah. No. <laughs> yeah. No. No, I got knocked out in the heat. So oh, I was in the heat too. Yeah, I won the Europeans okay. in Amsterdam. Yeah. Uh, I, I struggled for form that year. Uh, I went to Europeans. I found my rhythm. I found some form. Uh, won the Europeans against, which was a good field. It was against like Kevin Borlay, who was previous European champion as well. Yeah. Uh, Pavel Maslek was another European champion. So it was a good race. It wasn't, it wasn't quick in any way. It was just, it was a good race for the day and a good win. Mm. Um, so I was in good, good form. Uh, I went to the holding camp. I didn't go with my trainer, so he went to Portugal. And we went, we had to go to Belo Horizonte. And um, I think in that point, I needed him there. I needed him there to kind of guide me through it because I made some big mistakes at that holding camp. I, I was running race rhythm rate runs at 20.8, 20.9, and uh, I was jogging them. And it was too easy. Um, and I felt like, so when I went to, I was trying to slow myself down. I was trying to keep myself within myself. And when I went to the track in Rio, which was not the same type of track at all, my the rhythm that had been like 21.4, in Belo Horizonte ended up being 22-2 and at the Olympics you can't do that so I messed it up in the heat and then the relay we got DQ'd so it was uh, it was not great championships not good not good okay okay 
Okay, and, and then uh, but you get another chance in London then the next year. Uh, mm-hmm. Yeah, enjoy yeah. that. Enjoy that and making up for bits Twitter, perhaps. Yeah, bit, bits of it. Like um, the individual. No, I, was, I shouldn't have been picked for individual. I was picked off of winning the Europeans the year before, um, and uh, I didn't turn down because if you didn't run the individual, I wasn't going to get paid by my sponsor at the time, so I needed to do it. Um, and yeah, it was. Uh, it was not great it was a really bad individual but the relay uh, yeah like I actually messed up the heat as well I messed up the heat quite badly but I was supported by the group of guys really well um we'd had some kind of off track issues that had to be resolved and we have resolved them and came together as a team and um once again uh, Dwayne, well, between, between your teammates you're really yeah yeah so. we've had some issues with uh uh in the heats like we didn't uh I think it was quite well known at the time that like um uh as a squad we weren't that cohesive um matt didn't didn't turn up for the heats uh, and there's more to the story to that than and more decisions that are made behind the scenes by other people that mean he didn't run in the heats um but at the time we didn't know those that, that information we just what was see. what was that to preserve him for something or what was that for I, I don't know. Like, I think a decision would be made by senior staff that he wasn't going to run in the heats and he wasn't to come down to the track with us. But that wasn't relayed to us. So we turn up to bus. He's not there. Turn up track. He's not there. And obviously we're a group of guys with fuming. Um, so we qualified. I ran badly, but the guys didn't like put me in a good, good enough position. That I ran badly and I got through. We had it out with the, as a squad afterwards. And um, yeah, like uh, we made the decision. Uh, as a squad that Matt was going to be involved and um, you know, senior staff kind of accepted it. They they asked us all the right questions and they pushed us and we said, no, we believe as a team we can do this. And we came together and um, ended up getting a bronze medal. So it was mm-hmm. uh, it worked out for the for the best. It was a, a bit of drama that shouldn't have happened. It should never have got to that point. But mm-hmm. um, I think uh, you see, you see, you learn a lot about people in those situations and you learn a lot about, athletes and who's willing to put the life not their life on the line but who's willing to give everything for the guys and um mm. yeah i was very fortunate to be in that squad with and i'd say the squad was probably led more uh, by Dwayne cowan that championships than anybody he's, he's a quiet silent assassin doesn't really say much but he leads by example and how he handles himself how he did things and he, he did an amazing cha- uh, job that champs good good stuff uh, and then and the next couple of years or so um you're still was it fair to say your, your days have been a you know sub 45 runner or over now probably yeah i think um 2017 i was not really interested 2018 um but sorry 2017 i shouldn't say i wasn't interested i just kind of had a bit of the come down the post olympic comeback down mm. I, I i couldn't see another olympic games happening for me at that point so it was kind of a bit the motivation had dropped off a bit but uh 2018 was good like it was nice to go to the europeans in Germany again, back in Berlin. Mm. Um, I think uh, I ran okay, but um, I was obviously selected as a as an individual because I was defending European champion. But uh, I, individually, I was probably I'd lost the motivation to run a good 400. So I was still motivated for the relay, but the 400 itself was kind of just a byproduct of the relay. Mm. Okay, okay. And then your last world champs in Doha. Yeah. What was that experience like? I mean, with the World Cup's on right at the moment, and it's uh, you know a lot of chat about Qatar. It, it, it was not the most raucous atmosphere in Qatar, was it, for the World Champs? No, no it was poorly attended. Um, it was an amazing stadium. 
I think mm. World Athletics tried the best. I think the organisers tried the best. They really did. It's just there's not an appetite for it um, for sport in general. Like obviously it was part of their grander plans to promote sport in 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 Qatar, um, and they've invested heavily in, in the infrastructure there, and it was a, a good way of showing it off, showcasing it. But um, yeah, it was it was just a tough championship. I felt at that stage I was kind of more senior, I was more staff than I was athlete. So um, it was a <laughs> I was kind of like part of the squad. I enjoyed the the mixed relay. I didn't run great. I didn't run terribly. I think still split 44s uh, at the champs. So it wasn't great to, to my own standards, but it was uh, it was probably better than what was available from everybody else. So. Okay, okay. And I guess you, from there, well, it's pandemic, obviously, but you're, you're winding down from there, aren't you? Really? Is, is, when, was there an actual and retired moment, or was there just a phasing um, out of it? Yeah, I suppose. Like I. I once I realised I could still go to 2020, I kind of refocused on the individual and I got quite excited about it. I was back with Nick Dakin. I was in a group of people like quite young athletes, but quite hungry athletes. I trained well, um, but I don't think I'd run 44 seconds. I might have run like 45.5 or something, which would have been OK. I'd have probably been able to split 44 mid off of that. And so I was actually in decent enough shape. But yeah, 2021, it was kind of like I got permission to go for another year. Um, and yeah, I was done. Like yeah. training was just the motivation to put yourself in that hole that I'd done since I was like 18 years old or whatever was kind of like, no, um, if, if I'd have maybe moved away, if I was uh, young and not had kids and stuff like that, I'd have probably moved away somewhere and tried to give it one last big push. But my life was it was about yeah. my family by then anyway. So it was about being around my kids and stuff and um, watching them grow and trying to help them grow and stuff so it was kind of yeah the focus was different yeah so you had two kids by this time I know you've mentioned her already but let's talk about Kate now you're uh mm-hmm. you're the love of your life you're yeah you're long you're uh well you guys got together quite young didn't you you've been together for a long time you guys and we met in Melbourne in Commonwealth is that what happened so, yeah, yeah okay yeah. okay so um actually just beforehand but yeah it was kind of like uh yeah we'd met met beforehand and we started seeing each other that summer so Okay, okay. Tell us how that happened then. You Kate got together then. Give us, give us the. Did you, you make girl, a big, did you make a big move point. on a Martin? <laughs> <laughs> a bit of both, I suppose. I think Kate made the move on me. Uh, boy meets girl, girl meets boy, and uh, yeah, I think it was her birthday. I think we went out party at her birthday or something like that. And that was yeah. From then on, like so. Um, yeah, it was. It's, um, it's been fun, and she's obviously excel. Like we've had great like careers together and uh she was successful in her own right commonwealth medalist and, and world finalist uh british record holder for periods and um then she's become a fantastic mum and now she's a fantastic coach she's uh taking those skills that she's learned and she's um really excelling as a coach i think her uh her experiences have helped the younger athletes coming through and she has a, a pole vault group in Loughborough. It's kind of an elite group as well now, and uh, it seems to be going well. So, and, and how how important is it to have to have an athlete alongside you as a, as you as an athlete yourself? You know, not not all athletes have get together with other athletes, but you yeah. can have. Um, and obviously, it worked for you. You know, it's something yeah. can really empathise with you. Yeah, I think it was an understanding. I think um, patience. I think Kate has a lot more patience uh, with me. Uh, especially as I was going like carried on after 2012 she retired in 2012 and I think she thought I might have another couple of years and done 
but I ended up going for another like eight years or something like that so <laughs> or nine years so she had a lot of patience to wait for me and uh, understanding how you can be when you're when you're knackered from training you're knackered from training there's not much you can do as a as a as a dad uh, as much as you'd like to it's kind of your your blotto so it was just um a lot of understanding a lot of patience and understanding the pressures of what it is and saying the, the right things or not saying the wrong things I think more importantly um, yeah. I think that's it sometimes just not saying anything is, is the right thing to do so yeah I think we got it for each other um, and uh, yeah there's, there's times where we, I could have done more and she we could both done better but we we, uh, we got through those so it's good and at the opposite end of the scale tell me about some of your rivals on the track in your career and what, what your relationship was like with those guys so let's just go through a few names so uh LaShawn Merritt did you have a good relationship there fairly decent um I didn't we had rocky times um when he failed his drug test in uh and we were in um Daegu uh, we shared an ice bath together and I said I didn't believe you <laughs> through your drug failed drug test and he was like he just kind of took it he was like okay Cool. But then after that, I think because I was honest with him, we were always pretty sound. Um, he was a fantastic athlete and was a great racer and he was a decent bloke to be around. I like, actually at meets and stuff like that. What about Jeremy Warner? Jeremy, like Jeremy didn't talk to anyone. Like he was my idol, right? So I went to Helsinki and I saw him there. I was like, oh, good luck, good luck. And he just looked straight through me. I was like, What's, what have I done? <laughs> so I tried again. <laughs> he literally, his thing was, I don't talk to my competitors. I don't talk... And I think like later on when he had kids and stuff, he softened a bit. Um, and yeah, we talked uh, quite decently, actually. And like the odd message now on Facebook with Facebook friends and stuff. So yeah, yeah. No, it'd be random stuff. Like, or I see his kids are doing well and he's a he's a high school coach. So I congratulate him on stuff like that. And he was seeing like he saw me at the, doing stuff at the Worlds and stuff. So he was, yeah, it's, um, it's funny, isn't it? Like you kind of, you're there to do a job. You kind of can't be friends with your competitors. Uh, but that was his way of doing it. Mine was different, but yeah. Okay. What about the Borleys, the Belgian Borleys? Uh, I, I really have got a lot of time for them. Kevin yeah. and Joe and yeah. Dylan and Jack, the yeah. father, like they're all uh, good people. Um, I, I trained with them when I was with Rainer. So Rainer set it up so I could go do a camp with them in South Africa. Well, we were all there at the same time, but I basically had four weeks with them uh, where I was doing their, their program for four weeks. And um, yeah, I, I really enjoyed their company. I really enjoyed racing them. They were great racers. Kevin is an amazing relay runner. Um, I think he's got a better record than me uh, on head-to-heads. But I think we, could, we both knew that on our day we could beat each other. So um, there was a huge amount of respect. Kevin and myself talked a lot in call-up. Like, uh, I think we both realised that we were quite relaxed in call-up. We can't be overly in, focused, overly intense, because by the time we get to the track, we'll be tired. <laughs> so we kind of kept each other relaxed and helped each other through some some points. And when, when he's won medals at the Worlds or... Uh, championships whatever or relays whatever and I'm I'm not there or I've not been in that race I've always uh, congratulated him and he's congratulated me on other races and stuff so it's um yeah the ball lays are good people okay good good and, and I also can ask you I mean that the, four, the 400 meters is an event which uh, for some reason or other it's uh it's one of those events that is has huge appeal in Britain which sort of captures there's a bit of a heritage in the 400 meters isn't there mm. so you know guys like you're you, you following the footsteps of some guys like Roger Black and Ewan Thomas and Chris Akabusi, you know, is there a sense of that heritage? And do you, do you have a relationship with those guys, or would those guys ever ever sidle up to you at, a, at an awards and have a chat with you? Yeah, like um, I met Roger when I was quite young, um, and I think 
it was kind of a forced situation. It wasn't natural. Uh, some interview, I think, for one of the broadsheets, and um, it didn't feel natural. So I kind of got the wrong impression of the guy. Um, but then later on in my career, he was brilliant. Uh, Ewan was always great. He was great crack and great fun. Really helped me a bit in 2008. Just said, go smash it, stuff like that. You know, just back yourself. Um, I worked with Jamie, who was my agent for a bit. Um, oh, Jamie Bolsh. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Okay. So um, uh, they're all good people, like good guys. They're all competitive people. Mark Richardson used to see him about. And uh, Chris Ekabusi, I was just a fan. Anyway, like I uh, grew up on a Ugo, Ugo. Um, they were just, uh, they want the best for the event. And like towards the end of my career, I used to reach out to them and ask them to send messages to the athletes. Like Tim Benjamin used to do it a lot. Donna Fraser, people like that, who just used to reach out to athletes if they just to have a chat with them or just to wish them luck. Because it does mean something to people. And um, I feel like, uh, yeah, the British 400 meter guys have always been brilliant at that. Yeah. What is it about the four by four that makes it so appealing? It's just it's um i worked it out this year it's a mile race everyone loves the mile right yeah but it's a mile race with pace <laughs> so there's everyone loves like i i never the mile is my 1500 is my favorite event i, I love watching it I, okay. i'll go out my way to watch that event and basically the 4x4 is exactly the same except for it's a lot quicker and there's other little aspects of it like who's on the leg and there's a storyline to the to the race um it's it's not interesting when there's one team that's gone like the women's US team when they used to win it by miles, it wasn't actually that exciting. But uh, when when it's closer and when there's so many things happening, I feel like it's uh, to me it's just like it's the best race, but with flair. If you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. Um, I think this year has been a perfect example of that like to Europeans, like when the guys won the Europeans, to what the run the way they ran it was uh really ballsy and really tough and really gritty and yeah. uh took a lot of commitment and confidence in each other to do it that way um and that was an amazing way to and women to come third the way they did like in the time that they did it was just such an amazing spectacle to watch and um yeah it, it's uh it does offer a lot i think i think it's the one event that kind of joins the sprints and the endurance guys really well mm. okay okay and tell me about your current role with the with the with the relay team what 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 is it is it, is it coaching is it mentoring so, or is it <clears throat> tim benjamin had the role last year uh, 2021 um i think tim having been in the, out of sport for a while and been in the real world like he tried to bring the real world to athletics and i, I don't think like athletes are used to that they're not prepared for that um he's an incredibly bright man and successful and things that he's done away from the track uh, and i just don't think that mentality really worked with athletics i think it uh you can't be that business-minded or whatever person to kind of uh to be in the four by four um so he had a another opportunity that he's taken in, in his business life and uh i got given the opportunity with nick dakin in march last year which was a bit late um really to try and get a men's team to qualify for the world champs uh but yeah we kind of it's my passion it's something i've loved um so tommy yule who was acting pd at the time brought me in and uh, brought Nick in to support me through that process and yeah we've kind of just gone with it like uh, it's just I'm the now I think I'm the four by four coach I think I <laughs> <laughs> it's kind of still it's still like uh, I'm, I'm going to be involved with Futures which is brilliant I think Futures is the best part of British Athletics it has been for a long time it's something that um, really does lead the way in world-class uh, development and uh, I'm really excited to be involved with that so that starts the end of this week and then uh with the senior four by four i've got a call tomorrow with uh with the four by four guys um to just kind of 
run through some stuff and try to make them aware of what's going on and what we've done and the situations we're having with qualifications and all those kind of things. So um, it's something, that, like I said, I felt like I was doing probably towards the end of my career anyway, like in Doha and in London and stuff. I was kind of, um, kind of, well, actually even early in my career, like through championships and stuff, I was always the kind of senior person in the team uh, and helping with decision making or communication skills or whatever it was. So now it's just, it's, it's, it's kind of organically changed into uh, a senior coach for football. And it's looking pretty bright, isn't it? I mean, there's obviously Matt's got himself together and is, is you know, they, well, he, really moving on now. He's looking like, really looking the part. Guys like Charlie Dobson has got a lot of potential as well. I think on both sides, I think the men, yeah, Matt has done an amazing job and he's led a lot of the stuff within the men's programme. Like he's, he's he never wanted to be the the leader of the team like he he always talked about like oh, it's going to be a big big thing for him when mm-hmm. myself or rabba or someone else is gone um and i think he's done it in a way by leading by example as an athlete like how he performs on the track how he acts in the train uh in the holding camps and training camps or whatever it is um but he's he's done simple stuff like set up a whatsapp group of the guys and they just chat at each other abuse each other have fun with each other whatever and that's that's how guys interact i think a lot of the time so he's created that atmosphere which has been brilliant um there's so much talent there uh coming through but there's still a lot to do there's still a lot to learn there's still for us to win medals at the world's like our, our time from europeans we've been fourth at the world championships which is good but we want to go win olympic medals uh with the women it's amazing like the amount of talent that's there um to win a world medal uh and then to they hit the target that I had written down for next year on time wise. So they've already hit that. And it's like there's so much more for them to do. There's so much more for them to learn and develop. And um, yeah, it's very exciting for women. I think they know it's, they're in a very tough event. Women's four by four used to be pretty weak um, compared to the men's. The men's was kind of up here and the women's was kind of yeah two teams and that was it. Whereas now, like there's so many more teams coming up that mm-hmm. uh, to be competitive and our, our girls, they are very competitive, obviously being a world medalist and European medalist, but they know that they can, they've got it within them to go and win medals in, in the next two championships, obviously uh, Budapest and Paris. So it's exciting to be a part of. It's, it's, uh, it's offering me a lot. I'm learning a lot. I'm challenging myself. And the hard bits are actually like picking the team, knowing that I picked the right team, but you have to let people down. That's something I never really had to deal with in my career. Um, yeah. So like kind of learning those skills, uh, trying not to be. Uh, uh, have you seen Moneyball? No, no I lets, haven't. I'm aware of the concept though. Yeah. You yeah. just let someone go. You come straight to the face, say it straight up, done. And uh, I think sometimes for some people that works and learning who that works for and then other people, you have to kind of go around it and exp- you have to go through full detail and explain it. And that's something that I'm learning. Um, but so far, I think I've picked the right team every time. Some people might not agree, but uh, the results have been pretty good. So, um, yeah, we'll see how it goes this coming winter and summer. Good, long may it continue. Good. And tell me about your, your your role away from athletics. Well, it's still within athletics, but you work at Loughborough yeah. College, don't you? I do. Yeah. So um, I I studied at Loughborough College briefly as a, a young person, as an 18 year old, and I hated it. I had no interest in being a student that uh, period. I came to Loughborough to be an athlete. Um, and it wasn't the right mindset. So I was uh, maybe my turn 30 or maybe a bit later, I decided to go uh, to Loughborough College and I was like, look, I want to enroll into a course. And they were like, well, 
we have this we have the the dice program diploma in sport and excellence which is for 16 to 18 year olds why don't you come and work for us as an assessor on that um and i was like well i don't know like it's a but the motivation to go study was just to get the qualification and they were like well here's experience do you need the qualification if you're going to get experience so i've been working on the diploma in sport and excellence for a couple of years now uh through British, uh, through it's now England Athletics, it's called uh, the YTP, the Youth Talent Programme. It used to be British Athletics, it used to be called ACE, it's had loads of different names. But mm. DICE is the, the diploma that they, they do. It's an education-based uh, um, initiative um, where athletes are encouraged to have a dual athlete pathway, dual career pathway, so focusing on the study and being an athlete. Basically what I was really terrible at, I'm teaching people how to be better at it <laughs> from my own, my own mistakes and uh it's good I, i've i've learned a hell of a lot the college has been brilliant for me they've uh, encouraged me and they put from, put me through as many courses as possible and i think the experience on that has really helped with the the senior four by four stuff that i've been doing good good stuff uh, and what did what did you put away from athletics what do you do um away from the sport what interests have you got well uh, two young kids who kind of keep me busy um yeah. I, i'm gonna it, sounds pretty bad but i think social media became so important to what my normal day of life that I've, I've decided like pretty much recently that so i've got cut it like um i was trying to think about what what do i do i, I kind of wake up and i scroll on my phone and see what's going on so i'm trying to um yeah that's something i want to cut back on um and uh, spend more time just doing stuff like we are active as a family we do a lot as a family but uh, i definitely could do more right okay okay do you still run at all in any way do you keep fit uh i did um quite a lot of circuits for a while i really enjoyed that at a gym in loughborough um and then i kind of stopped doing that because i was just didn't have the time in the mornings uh with like obviously kate coaches she's a full-time coach now so mm. the the roles uh to the spare time to go and co- uh, train has been not as frequent as i'd like but um i've got back into a routine of just doing strides and circuits at home so I take my my daughter to gymnastics there's some rugby pitches nearby and i literally just i stride i can't jog i'm rubbish at jogging i tore my calf i was in south africa over half term and i tore my calf when i was out there jogging so stride suits me better oh so there's no no, no return to cross country for you then at some point <laughs> do, do you know what i'd like to do it for fun definitely like i did a couple of park runs and i realized how much fun it is um but i think um i'd like to just not Put on too much weight i definitely have put on a bit of timber so <laughs> you told <laughs> it up. yeah i think it happens i think it happens well it's good to see you in good in good form it's good to see you that you've uh you've you've still very much connected with the sport and you're passing the baton on as it were to the next generation um, <laughs> Cheers, Chris. yeah thanks for your time today it's been great chatting up chat me martin thank you thank you very much chris thanks for listening to athletics life stories with chris broadbent Please tell your friends and leave a review wherever you get your podcasts. Sports Social Podcast Network.